And last week, we just simply asked the question, what hope do we have? If someone were to ask you to give a reason for the hope, what hope do you have? Last week, we looked at what hope was for the future, that, there, that heaven is a real place, and that mean that, which means that if heaven is a real place, then hell also has to be a real place, because Jesus spoke about both of them uh, the same way, and that the only way to heaven is through, G, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have faith in his death for our sins, that we have faith in his burial, his resurrection, and we have a certain hope that he is coming again. And that is great for the future. But what about today? What is the reason that you have hope right now? I mean, the fact that you're here, I can't imagine is just because you hope in the certainty of heaven. That you come week in and week out because you have a hope for the future. What is the reason for your hope today? What is the reason for your hope at this moment? Paul told us in Romans that we must wait patiently for his return. What does that mean? What does it mean to wait patiently? Now, I learned real early when I was about four what waiting patiently meant. It meant sit down, be quiet, stop moving. I don't think that's what God had in mind. When Paul tells us to, to, because of the hope that we have, those that have that hope will wait patiently for it. You know what that word patiently really means the way Paul used it? We'll endure. We'll wait patiently, meaning they will endure. That there is an endurance in our waiting. That the New Testament has the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose or his loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. You see, that waiting patiently means that we will endure according to our purpose. We're going to live life the way God has planned it for us as individuals and as a corporate body. And that we're going to endure the trials, the hardships, the sufferings. We're going to push through. We're going to overcome. And we are going to wait until the day that Jesus comes to gather us all together. That's activity. Waiting patiently is not inactivity, but it is much activity. But now it's a different activity than what we, uh, were, we, did, what we did before. That our life after Christ is a whole different set of activities than what we did before Christ. Because when Jesus touches a life, everything changes. Everything changes. It's a different type of life. This morning I want to describe for you what the life we have with Jesus in the present right now is to be like. And why we have hope for today. I'm going to use three words this morning to describe the hope for the present, to describe the life that we have right now, because the life we live right now is eternal life. The life we live right now is the transformed life, transformational life. The life that we live right now is the victorious life. Now, I don't know if those are three words that you would use to describe your life right now, eternal, transformed, and victorious. But I hope over the next 30 or 35 minutes, it's what you walk out of here believing. Eternal life. Do you ever think that heaven can be a reality right now? 
that while the, the reality of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth is our future hope, but did you ever think that it's also our hope for the present? That heaven starts right now? That our future is now? John wrote a lot about eternal life in his gospel. The, the apostle John, the, uh, the gospel writer, he, he wrote in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his... That was enthusiastic. <laughs> I want to be what, I want to have what you have. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life, what do we think of? We often think that that refers to the future hope in heaven. That whoever believes in him someday, down the road, in the future, will experience eternal life. I don't think that's what John meant. Because later in his gospel, in John chapter 17, he wrote this, Father, the time has come. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying... Remember when he was praying in Gethsemane and, and John chapter 17, I believe, is, is the verbiage of that prayer as best as we know it, as God has revealed it to, to, to John as he wrote it down. He says, for, uh, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. He might give it now. He might give eternal life to you. Now this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is the definition of eternal life? Is it life in heaven for all eternity with Jesus? No, not according to John. Eternal life is just simply knowing God. Eternal life is that you may know the Father, that you may know God and know Jesus Christ. That's right now. Jesus has come to give us eternal life, to give us this knowledge, to give us this understanding that, that not knowing about him, but knowing him, intimately knowing God, that's eternal life. That's our hope right now. The hope for my present right now is that I can know God, that I may be known by him and that I can know him in intimate ways, that I can understand him. This is a closer relationship than anything you've ever experienced under human nature. Husbands, how many of you love your wives? Come on, raise your hand. <laughs> your relationship with God is more intimate. God is wanting, desiring a more intimate relationship with you guys than what you have with your wife. Wives, how many of you love your husbands? Not after he didn't raise his hand, I don't. <laughs> God wants a more intimate relationship with you ladies than, he, than, than you have with your husbands. Singles, how many of you want a husband or wife? Not after what I just saw. <laughs> Good, because God wants an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. More intimate than any friend we have. 
more intimate and, and, and more loving than what moms and dads you have for your kids. He wants you to know him because it is in knowing him that this life matters. The hope that I have for this present day is knowing Jesus, is knowing God, is understanding him. We talk about intentional relationships where, where we do things on purpose because it's going to make the relationship better. We think about it. We, we, we are concerned about the relationship. And so we, we, we give it consideration and do the things that we know is going to make that better. Husbands, you love your wives and, and you're going to do things that you know is going to make that relationship better. Wives, you're going to do things that, that make that relationship better. With, with friends, you're going to do things that you just know makes that relationship better. How many of you take that much consideration, that much care in your relationship with God? That you're going to do things intentionally for him, with him, every day to make that relationship better. And yet we've just said it's the most important relationship in your life. And yet most of us rely on that relationship getting better, not intentionally, but by accident. We need to be intentional in our relationship. We need to get up in the morning and the first thing we think about is God. We need to get up in the morning and, God, I want to meet with you. I I, want to see you. I want to understand you. I want to experience you afresh and anew this day. We have to be intentional about knowing him. We seek him out. You know, he's reaching down to us. Like the parable of the lost sheep where he leaves the 99 to seek the one. You are that one. Every day he's seeking you. Every day he's calling out to you. Every morning we get up and if we don't respond to that call, if we don't call and seek him out and we get busy with our own life, then we're going to accidentally bump into God somewhere. But that doesn't add meaning. That doesn't give hope to our life today. The hope is in knowing him and getting to know him and understanding him. So how do we do that? We seek after him. We never take him for granted. We intentionally, regular times of meeting with him alone. And I'm not talking about a to-do checklist. I got my 15 minutes in this morning. I'm saying maybe throughout the day. We intentionally seek him out. We intentionally look for him. We intentionally call out to him. And yes, we do have that scheduled time of just he and I alone. Because his word is one of the places he reveals himself. It's probably the main place that we can get truth from uh, who he is. That he has given us his word to reveal himself to us so that we might know him. And if we just treat this and that time as accidental, there's very little hope that your day is going to go the way you want it. And I'm sure it's not going to go the way he wants it. Regular times of prayer alone. You and him, together, intimately, growing. Him him listening to you, you listening to him. I can't explain what that looks like. I can't give you three steps to making it happen. But the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. The more you're going to understand, you're going to be able to to tune in to his voice. You're going to be able to hear what he is saying to you. He's going to open up his word in new ways to you. 
And so we need to have these regular times of meeting with him and his word and him in prayer alone. But that's only part of it. Because God wants to use other people. And he wants to use you in the lives of other people. And so we need to have regular times of meeting with God with others in an intimate setting. Maybe that's a Sunday school class or maybe that's a small group or or on Sunday night or or prayer meeting on Wednesday night. That we come together with others. And and I I don't mean that you open up the meeting with prayer. I mean prayer is the meeting. It's the reason for being there. It's a big chunk of why we come together. That we're connecting with God. We're hearing from Him. And as we meet with Him and we listen to Him, we find out who He is. And we discover all the wonderful things that He has done for us. And the incredible things that He wants to do through us. And this knowledge, this knowing Him, this daily gaining new understanding will change you. Because truth changes us. So my question is, how intentional are you? What opportunities are you taking this week to better know God? The one who calls out to you. God wants you to know him. He wants to reveal himself to you in deeper ways, but it doesn't happen on accident. You're not just going to bump into him in the mall. You have to be intentional in meeting with him as he is intentional in meeting with you. Our hope for today is that we may know God. God is knowable. He he wants to intimately reveal himself. He wants to be such a, a, a tight part of our life, such an intimate part of our life. The God of the universe, the creator, the all powerful one wants that for me. That's hope. That's certainty that my life's going to be different. It's going to change. It's going to be better. It's going to have meaning. It's going to have purpose. Because how can I be that intimate with the creator of the universe and my life not count for anything? That's hope. Eternal life. Heaven. Right now. Today. Second word that we want to look at is that our life, we're living in the present, is the transformed life. Because if you come into that intimate knowledge of God, your life has to change. It cannot stay the same. We have hope in this life because things can change. How many of you have things in your life you wish you could change? You've got attitudes that you've been having for a long time. You have behaviors that you just soon not do anymore. Bad habits. You've tried. You've done everything you possibly can. Your willpower. You've made New Year's resolutions. You've de- My hope today for you is that life can change. Your life can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. One touch from Jesus and everything changes. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to be an easy change. I'm not saying that, poof, the attitude is different. Poof, the behavior is gone. One touch from Jesus, and you're moving in that direction. You're in that process of transformation. The old has gone. That means left behind, not dead. We all know that. We all know that in reality, the old is not 
gone like non-existent because that that sin keeps popping up, that attitude, that behavior, the thing we want to change about ourselves keeps, keeps showing itself up. But what that word gone means is that it is neglected. The old is neglected. What happens to something that is neglected? It dies. It shrivels up. The life seeps out of it. My wife loves flowers. Our front porch is, is beautiful with hanging baskets and, and flowers and, and uh, flower boxes and all kinds of different flowers. And it, it looks good right up until we go on vacation. Then when we come home after a week of vacation, we have new flowers. You know why we have new flowers? Because we've had to throw the old ones away because they've been neglected for a week. Because if you neglect something, it will, the life will slowly go out of it. And so that old self, that old behavior, that old uh, attitude, you need to neglect it. Not give it life. Not feed it. The old is gone. Leaving it behind. Not going back to them. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, is a turning from and, and leaving it. That's what we're to do. We're, we're to leave the old ways of thinking. Now we know God. Now we are learning the things of God, even the deep things of God. And with God, we now have the capacity to understand those things. And that as we understand greater things of God, then, then, then more and more of the old needs to go away. More and more do we need to neglect. And as I said, I'm in no way suggesting that the changes are easy. Some of them are going to be extremely hard because they are deep-rooted behaviors. They are deep-set attitudes that just don't poof, go away. It takes days and months of neglecting to kill them off. And we neglect through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in a constant state of transformation. It's an ongoing process. That is why regular study, regular prayer is so vital because if we miss, if we're feeding the wrong thing, then that attitude's going to gain new life. That behavior is going to gain new life. As we read the scriptures, we better understand God and we learn his promises. We are better prepared to make the changes. We're better prepared to, to live stronger. We have better attitudes. We have better behaviors. We have better relationships. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a new way of life. This Christ life. That new life is recently made fresh. That's what it means. Can you, can you just picture it? You're living your life. You're in sin. You're, you're, you're doing things you don't want to do. Maybe you do want to do them, but you come face-to-face -face contact with God and you realize that there needs to be a change in your life and that the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and Jesus wants to forgive you of those sins and he wants to begin a change process and then you get a new life, a recently made, fresh, unused, unworn life. It's a new start. That's hope. Every day the new has come. Every day is a, is a new start. Every day is, is new and unworn and unused. It's full of substance. That's what that new life is. The old life didn't have any substance. There's no meaning and there's no purpose. 
There's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. But with Jesus Christ, there's substance to life now. There's meaning and there's purpose. My life counts for something. It's a new kind of life, uncommon, unheard of. That is transformed. It does not resemble the old self. Your very substance of what you are, who you are, what you are made of is transformed. One touch from Jesus changes everything. Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That before the foundations of time, God had already predetermined that all of those who have faith in him, all of those that are, that, that are placed their loyalty and their trust and their faith and believe in Jesus Christ are going to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. That they're going to have a new life. That at that moment, transformation begins. And life is changed. Life is different. Being conformed into the image of his son, that, that would be the original image in which we were created. Remember, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And now, this process of being recreated back into that image is the transformational process. It's what we are to be living for. It is our purpose. It is our hope that every day I understand God more. Every day I love him more. Every day I am more like Jesus. It's intentional. The eternal life of knowing God is the transformed life of being like Christ. And that's hope for today, that change is possible. That there is no sin that, you are so, that, that is so rooted in you. That there is no behavior that, that you can't overcome. That you can't change. That, that the Holy Spirit won't come in and, and begin to work on and chip away at. And transform you into the image of Jesus. There's nothing in your life that God can't change. There's nothing in your spouse's life that God can't change. There's nothing in your kid's life that God can't change. There's nothing in your neighbor's life that God can't change. Know him. Be intentional in that relationship. Each and every day, grow. Your marriage can be transformed. That's ongoing. As each one is knowing the Father. As I am spending time alone in prayer and in study and, and understanding better who God is and who he's created me to be, and as Sarah is doing the same, and, and as we are growing closer to God, what ultimately happens? We're growing closer to him. And then our marriage becomes transformed because I am transformed and she is transformed and then we are transformed. And that's a good thing. Just the, uh, just the other night, we, we were having another one of our, our heart-to-hearts to where we just sit down and we're talking about what's going on inside. What's God doing? How's God changing? Areas that we see change in the other person. And, and, and when we walk out of those that, that, are, are, that we've had over the many years and as we both relied and allowed the Holy Spirit to transform us, our marriage the other night took another step in the right direction. But it's because we're intentional about knowing God. And we're intentional about bringing God into that relationship. It's not that the other night we were on the brink of disaster. It's the other night that we were just living life. 
and allowing God to transform us and, and sharing that intimately with one another, the change that's going on. Your parenting can be transformed. Who you are at work can be transformed. Do you know who loves your kids more, you or God? God. Who knows better how to love your kids, you or God? God. How do you think God chooses to love your kids? Through you. That's why he's given them to you. So that he can love your kids through you. But if you're accidentally in a relationship with God, then your kids are going to be accidentally loved by God. But if you're intentional in your own relationship and you're intentional about growing in your relationship and fostering that growth in your marriage relationship, your kids are going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves them. It's just how he works. It's the system he set up to transform you, to, to make you a better vessel to love your kids through. One touch and everything changes Knowing that there are things in your life that need to be changed. How many of you? How many of you have at least one thing in your life? One attitude, one behavior. The ones who aren't raising their hand are liars and now have a reason to raise their hand. <laughs> Maybe you need to go from a bad behavior to a good behavior. Those are easy to figure out. Here's the tough one. You might need to go from a good behavior to a best behavior. Those aren't as easy to point out. Those aren't as easy to find out. And that's going to take more time with God, more prayer, more understanding, more Bible, more intentionality in my relationship to determine the good things that really need to be the best things. Because a lot of us have good things in our life that are getting away in the way of the best things. The Holy Spirit has the power to change the bad to good and the good to best. But it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take living eternal life right now. It's going to be living the transformed life, reliance upon the Holy Spirit, upon prayer, upon Bible study, upon, uh, upon understanding. Because you know what awaits on the other side of transformation? Victory. Glory. That right now we have a victorious life. That we can live victoriously. That we can live as overcomers. Paul writing to his dear friend Timothy. It was apparently coming to the, near the end of his life. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And he's writing Timothy this letter. And, and just from the words he uses. We feel that Paul is expecting to die soon. Uh, because this is what he says. Timothy I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul knew that heaven was his future hope, but he lived in the present hope to the point to where he could come to the end of his life and say, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I have done what God has asked me to do. How many of you, if you were to end your life, not you end your life, that would be bad. How many of you, if your life ended today, could certainly, beyond all doubt, say, I have run the race well. 
I, have, I would have finished well. I have fought the good fight. It's a possibility to, to run the race, to fight the fight, to look back on your life since Christ and, and say, I have done well. That my life has meaning and purpose. And I am living out the call of God upon my life. I am living out the purpose that God has, has given me. That there is meaning in my life beyond my job, beyond my family. There is meaning. And the key word in all of that is overcome. That we have overcome. That we can look back and say, I overcame this, I overcame that. That through the Holy Spirit, I overcame this attitude. I overcame this behavior. That I overcame this obstacle. And the biggest and perhaps hardest thing to overcome is sin. That we were born with a sin nature and mankind is basically evil. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's a lot of people saying, you know, mankind is basically good. Well, if mankind is basically good, then if we would just let them run and do their own thing, do what just comes natural to them, this world would be an incredibly good place. Because there are billions of people who are just going to naturally do the good that is within them, right? I've not experienced that. I've not read one article in the newspaper that would, that would lend itself to, for me to believe that. No, men are basically evil. We're sinful creatures. We are fallen. And it's going to take that, that transformation, that, that, but the hope is we can overcome. We can be changed. But there are sins in our life that while Jesus has forgiven you of them, they still cause you trouble. They're part of that old self that we have to neglect, that we have to turn our back on. Listen to these words. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Those are Jesus' words. I have given you everything you need to overcome. It's right here. Part of it's here. Part of it's through the Holy Spirit. Everything that we need to overcome the power of the enemy, to overcome sin in our life, the behaviors, the, the attitudes. He's given it to us. There is hope that we can change. There is hope that we can overcome. There is hope that my life can have meaning and purpose. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And if I've overcome the world and you align your faith and your, your priorities with me, you too will overcome the world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's hope. We can change the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is hope today in overcoming. There is hope today in a changed life. How do you overcome? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to totally surrender ourselves. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. My question is, you know, we still have that sin nature and we have the Holy Spirit operating in us if we're believers. And you know who's going to win the battle? The one we feed. The one we don't neglect. The one that we're intentional about. 
that if we don't neglect God, if we don't neglect the Holy Spirit moving in our life, if we don't neglect His Word and our relationship with Him, then He's the one that's going to win. If we neglect God and feed the sin nature, then the sin nature is going to win. It's just that simple. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Total surrender. And then the, the second thing that, that I've come up with is just as simple. Flee temptation. Don't put yourself in the position to feed the sin nature. Flee temptation. Get out of there. Flee from sexual immorality. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't put yourself in the position to be tempted. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And, you know, we say that as if you're too weak. You know, we use that almost as a derogatory thing. But that's a, if you can't take the temptation, get out. Flee it. If you can't take the pressure of, 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 a, of that sin or, or something that is, is that relationship, get out. It's just that simple. Don't put yourself in the position to be tempted. So what do you take away from all this? Do you need to be, here's three questions. Do you need to be more intentional in your relationship with, with God? Do you need to be more on purpose, making him a priority, not an accident throughout the day? You know, it's great to bump into old friends. But you know what's even better when you plan and spend quality time with them? Do you need to be more intentional? Do you need to change some area or attitude in your life? Do you need to be transformed? Do you need to allow the Holy Spirit to begin that transformation? To begin neglecting the old? And giving life to the new because there's hope in that. Or do you need to just begin living like a winner? To flee temptation. To be victorious. To understand meaning and purpose in my life. And that God has, has placed his hand upon me and wants to do incredible, miraculous things through my life. And if I'm intentional and in allowing him to transform, then I'm going to be victorious. And at the end, I'm going to say, I have run the race. I have fought the fight. And you're going to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. If you're here this morning before I pray, I want to pray for you. I just simply, if you have answers to any of those three questions, I need to get my, become more intentional in my relationship. I want you to stand right where you are. If that's what you need this morning, I need to become more intentional with my relationship with God. Stand right where you are. Good. If there are things in your life that need transformed, if there are old ways that need neglected, and this morning you're going to say, I'm going to begin by the Holy Spirit to neglect them, stand where you are. Good. And if you are here this morning and you say, you know what? I need to live out the victorious life. I need to live like a winner. I've been sitting back. I've been doing nothing. I've not been getting involved. 
If it's time for you to step up and begin living as a victor, you stand right where you are. Good. Let's pray. Father, all over this room, there are people standing who who are in need of you. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come uh, at the beginning of the service. I prayed before the message. And Father, your Holy Spirit is here and he is working and he is moving. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would touch each and every one who is standing where they need that touch. Father, that we would become the children of God, that we would be waiting patiently in much activity and enduring, that we would be living purposeful lives, intentional in our relationship with you. Father, empower us to go, to be victorious in this life, For we know that we have a hope in the future and a hope in the present. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in that victory. Go in that peace. Go in that attitude of God is going to do something great in you this week. Amen? Amen.